This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Dealing with a little bit of a mercury and retrograde situation here uh, at the Sentinel. Having some microphone issues uh, with Sam Knight. That's why he sounds like he's on Skype, because that's where he is. Uh, Say hi, Sam. (laughs) Hey, again, everyone. Uh, uh, it sounds pretty clear, though. It, I think people will deal with it. Hopefully, we'll have this fixed by uh, tomorrow's show. So, uh, big weekend. We had the uh, Trump Juneteenth speech in Tulsa, although he did it on June 20th. Uh, I feel like Trump's got a comedy writer writing his speeches now because it's all just bits. He's doing bits now all the time. He did about a 15-minute bit about the ramp that he walked down. Then he did a bit about drinking water. Um, Of course, he did his usual horrific stuff like engaging in coronavirus trutherism and uh, doing his whole law and order fascist stuff. But um, uh, the the crowd in uh, in Tulsa was uh, smaller than expected, but very energized to see that uh, the president can drink a glass of water with one hand. Did you uh, did you watch the speech, Sam? I did not watch the speech. I uh, I haven't even watched the the water drinking with the audio on. I haven't read the articles about K-pop fans allegedly ruining his speech. I don't buy um, it. I don't really buy I, that. I don't. I don't really care either way. I just. I. I'm not trying to um, sound too lethargic here, but I. You know, I really don't give a fuck well, and. Uh, uh, that's because most of your attention has been focused on the fireworks question. That's right. I um, I don't know. I, I haven't dug too deeply into this either, but I'm, I'm certainly more intrigued by the fireworks debate. And quite honestly, I, uh, I, I jolt between one of two theories, one being that uh, cops are just handing them out willy-nilly as part of a uh, a, a protection racket-style uh, campaign to try to spook people into wanting the cops to break up this thing. And the other, uh, which I think is probably more rational and, and, and more true to... Uh, it is there's probably more truth to it which is that because of the pandemic and because of the recession uh people are canceling their fireworks celebrations and there is a oversupply of fireworks in the market right now and it is just trickling down to uh, major metropolitan areas and people don't really have uh, much to do right now. They can't really go to bars. They can't really uh, uh, have house parties. So people are just fucking out in the streets, lighting off fireworks and and just vibing on that. And uh, quite frankly, I think the second theory is uh, is more compelling. But but some people say it could be a combination of both theories. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the second theory is is probably more correct, but I'm not one of those people who are immediately shooting down this notion that that cops are uh, 
Um, either A, doing this as some sort of protection racket or showing the need for themselves, or B, doing it to terrorize communities. Um, I wouldn't put any of that past the police at all. Um, and there have been some strange videos that I've seen uh, about police just running their lights and sirens at 2 a.m. in like uh, Envoy in Harlem. And you don't know, there doesn't seem to be any need for this other than just to annoy residents. Um, there was the story that came out today with more information about the New York cops who accused Shake Shack of, of poisoning them. Turns out the cops didn't even get sick at all. They only went to the hospital as a precaution so that the police union could claim that officers had to go to the hospital. Jesus Christ. So I wouldn't yeah. put it past these cops at all to engage in any sort of lying or underhanded activity uh, to to attack the community. So where I am in D.C., there are fireworks going off uh, constantly. Same. Well, not and, and yeah, you're, you're not too far away from me. But that said, you know, what maybe what's going on in New York is worse, like in terms of 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 the scale of it. I mean, there are some serious fireworks being lit off uh, in, in my neighborhood, too. But it really doesn't. It, it doesn't seem too out of the norm. And uh, D.C. always goes pretty wild on the 4th of July, and it's a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, that said, may, maybe the experience in New York is different. And I certainly saw a video this morning of uh, New York police cars just absolutely, like, driving at a very slow pace through Harlem, blasting their sirens like like yeah. they were in a like they were in a presidential motorcade. And like, I feel like there's no ambiguity about that. They are, that is definitely PSYOP style shit. Like that is PSYOP protection racket style shit for sure. Yeah, yeah. Another theory I had, which I guess falls into the second camp of people just sort of being bored and there being a, a oversupply of fireworks now is, you know, this is we are in the midst of a of a nationwide uprising, a sort of uh, revolutionary moment, and and maybe people just lighten off more fireworks than normal is the sort of manifestation of that that revolutionary spirit taking uh, taking hold around the country. I'd uh, that, yeah. I'd like to think that that might be an explanation here as well. I think so too. Uh, that I would like to think that too for sure. Um, I think the uh, broader socioeconomic uh, factors, the uh, drop in fireworks prices and the uh, lack of other uh, leisure and entertainment is is probably like it, it just seems to be the most obvious and correct explanation, though. Yeah. All right. The, the, the material factors are uh, uh, the material uh, uh, theory there, I think, is pretty compelling. Yep, probably right. Uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll we'll see how it plays out as we head till July fourth, and then uh, and beyond. I have a feeling the fireworks aren't going to cease right after July fourth either. Okay, it's Monday, June twenty second, twenty twenty. Here's the news. An interesting day for Clarence Thomas, who had the only two dissenting opinions on Supreme Court orders today. First, he criticized colleagues for declining to hear a First Amendment case. The litigation involved the Kansas Supreme Court decision saying that violent threats are protected if there's no intention to act on them. 
Thomas said this shouldn't be the case, quote, in my view, the Constitution likely permits states to criminalize threats, even in the absence of any intent to intimidate. Well, that would be the end of Twitter if Thomas had his way. He continued, quote, it appears to follow that threats of violence made in reckless disregard of causing fear may be prohibited. Can't wait to get my door kicked in for telling Marco Rubio I'm going to put him in an iron diaper and drizzle honey on his face. I also love facing five to ten years for telling Ben Shapiro I'm going to seal him in a dumpster and rocket it to the sun. Of course, that's uh, fortunately, that's not what's actually happening because uh, Clarence Thomas is the only one on the Supreme Court, it seems, uh, who wants to make these things a possibility. Kansas Supreme Court decided the case last October. It involved two defendants in a consolidated case. One of them told his mother that he wished she would die, that he would help her get there, and that he was going to fucking kill her ass. According to the AP, his mother had testified on his behalf at trial, saying that family members threaten each other all the time without meaning it. The other case involves an unambiguous hero they might need to make a Netflix miniseries about this guy. Timothy Botker was upset about cops shooting his daughter's dog and failing to properly investigate it. So Botker told the son of a cop that he, the cop's son, was going to, quote, end up finding his dad in a ditch. Per the AP, Botker denies ever saying it though he would be justified if he did say it and also denied saying it, given the circumstances. But as we know, cops lie all the time. They also shoot dogs all the time. The point is, Timothy Bacher is yet another person who cops have made into a hero. Clarence Thomas thinks he belongs in jail. The other case involving a Thomas dissent was an eight-to-one decision about SEC penalties, the court ruled that the agency can take profits from fraudsters if the penalty goes to victims and doesn't exceed the fraudster's net profit. This is a process known as disgorgement. Thomas said it shouldn't exist, that it isn't permitted by the 1934 law that created the SEC, saying, quote, disgorgement is a creation of the 20th century. Evidently, he is the only one who feels this way. Not even Alito or Kavanaugh had his back. Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Gerald Nadler, has already taken impeachment off the table when it comes to how lawmakers should handle Attorney General William Barr's ousting of New York U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Berman. It's been well reported that as the U.S. Attorney in the Southern District of New York, Berman is investigating a number of issues related to Trump world, including the president's henchman, Rudy Giuliani. His removal at the behest of Attorney General Barr and President Trump is seen by many as an act of obstruction of justice. House Democrats have already scheduled a hearing for this week that could include testimony from Berman. Whistleblowers from the Department of Justice have agreed to testify. Lawmakers also want to hear from the Attorney General himself, though Barr has rebuffed congressional requests to appear, and so far a subpoena has not been issued to compel him. Barr's job isn't really under any threat, however, as Representative Nadler told CNN over the weekend about Barr, quote, I think he deserves impeachment. He certainly deserves impeachment. But again, that's a waste of time because the Republicans in the Senate won't look at that. And we have other ways of getting at this, end quote. Berman initially resisted his removal, 
On Friday, the Justice Department released a statement saying that Berman had resigned. Berman responded by saying he did no such thing and was planning to stay in his position. Shortly after, though, William Barr notified Berman that actually President Trump had fired him. Berman then stepped down, noting that his deputy, Audrey Strauss, will take over all pending investigations until a replacement U.S. attorney is confirmed by the Senate. The Trump administration is pushing for the current chair of the SEC, Jay Clayton, to replace Berman. Clayton uh, approached Barr and Trump requesting this new job, even though Clayton has never been a prosecutor before. Clayton's nomination, though, could be derailed by home state New York Senators Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand. Senate Judiciary Chairman Lindsey Graham said he will honor tradition that allows home state senators to essentially veto nominees. Schumer has also called for the Department of Justice Inspector General to launch an investigation into Berman's firing. The improper dismissal of U.S. attorneys was a major scandal during the Bush administration. In 2006, Bush's Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez presided over the removal of seven U.S. attorneys. It was revealed that the firings were motivated by politics and an effort to shut down investigations into Republican political allies. The scandal resulted in the resignation of Attorney General Gonzalez and eight other senior department officials. Of course, that scandal has now been memory-holed since liberals have rehabilitated the Bush administration as a way of coping with the Trump administration, which is now doing the same illegal shit. Speaking of things memory hold by liberals, John Bolton's book is set to be published tomorrow. The government of South Korea is pissed. A spokesperson for South Korean President Moon Jae-in disputed Bolton's account of Trump's outreach to North Korea. Chung Yui Young told the Washington Post that Bolton was, quote, inaccurate and, quote, distorting the reality. Chung also said that Bolton's actions could undermine U.S.-South Korea relations, quote, unilaterally revealing discussions made based on mutual trust among states violates the fundamental principles of dis- diplomacy and could undermine future negotiations, end of quote. The Post said that Chung didn't specify what Bolton allegedly lied about, but it excerpted a quote from the book which states, this whole diplomatic fandango was South Korea's creation related more to its unification agenda than serious strategy on Kim's part or ours. Obviously, in John Bolton's world, strategy has to involve the unprovoked killing of hundreds of thousands of people for it to be considered serious. In the first stages in President Trump's outreach to North Korea, Bolton said that North Korea could follow the Libya model of denuclearization, a statement that evoked images of the Libyan government being overthrown by NATO intervention less than a decade after giving up its nuclear weapons program. Trump has blamed this remark for the eventual breakdown in talks with North Korea, though Trump was the one who hired neocon psychos like Bolton in the first place. What did he expect? (laughs) Finally today, the Democratic nominee for president, Joe Biden, is trying to stake out a position to the president's right on foreign policy. In a tweet on Sunday, Joe Biden claimed that Trump admired thugs and dictators like Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro and that as president, Biden would, quote, stand with the Venezuelan people and for democracy. Biden's claims here don't comport with the reality of how the Trump administration has been trying to overthrow the legitimate democratically elected president of Venezuela. 
Maduro has been targeted with sanctions, been charged with narco trafficking by U.S. authorities, and the U.S. has declared that Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido is the legitimate president of the country. The U.S. State Department has also played a role in several attempts by Guaido to seize power in Caracas. Joe Biden's tweet was prompted by President Trump in an interview over the weekend expressing regret for throwing support behind Guaido, who has shown to have little to no support from the population or the military necessary to secure power. Trump also said he would be open to meeting with Maduro, though Trump later clarified that such a meeting would focus only on Maduro leaving power. Joe Biden, though, is signaling that he's a lot closer to John Bolton's regime change foreign policy when it comes to Venezuela than Trump's regime change light foreign policy. Biden also tried to outflank Trump to the right when it comes to aggressive foreign policy toward China. Biden tweeted out a threat to sanction China, writing, quote, Trump opposed sanctioning China's government over its atrocious human rights violations to protect his hollow trade deal and serve his own personal interests. Where Trump has been weak, I will be strong, clear and consistent in standing up for America's values and its people, end quote. Of course, the Trump administration has been hyper-aggressive toward China recently, going as far as accusing Beijing of manufacturing the coronavirus to attack the U.S., Biden now signaling he wants to go even harder. And that'll do it for the newscast today. That music means it's time to read some poetry for our new subscribers over at Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month, you get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. You also get access to all the bonus content we put out. This first one is for MT. I drank some water and I only used one hand. That's presidential. Thank you, MT. Next, this is for Paul. Fork it all over. He asked while holding a knife, a cutlery robbery. Thank you, Paul. Finally, this is for Chad. Protests gain support. Zoomers, juggalos on board. Next up, the himbos. Thank Thank you, Chad. Uh, I realized my haiku actually has seven uh, syllables in the third line. Why don't I read it again? Try it again. Paul, fork it all over, he asked while holding a knife. The cutlery thief. There we go. Thank you, Paul. You get two haiku today, Paul. One legit, one not quite. All right. Thanks to all the new subscribers over at Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. That's it for the show. We're back tomorrow with a brand new newscast. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.